Welcome back to the Librarian Linkover Podcast. I am your host, Laureen Kennard. My guests have come from a variety of industries. They have shown that our skills are useful in any work environment. Working for a library vendor seems like a perfect fit for a librarian, especially one with a varied background. My guest today has worked in academic libraries, a state library, a library consortium, and now he works for a library vendor. Kyle Banerjee is a senior, see, like when you screw up once, you keep screwing up. Okay, I'm out of practice. Welcome back to the Librarian Linkover podcast. I am your host, Florine Kennard. My guests have come from a variety of industries and they have shown that our skills are useful in any work environment. Working for a library vendor seems like a perfect fit for a librarian, especially one with a varied background. My guest today has worked in academic libraries, a state library, a library consortium. Now he works for a library vendor. Kyle Banerjee is a senior implementation consultant for EBSCO. Kyle, welcome to the Librarian Linkover. Thank you. So tell us about your work and what kind of projects you take on. Um, In a nutshell, I help plan and implement migrations from whatever library management or electronic resources management systems libraries are currently using to the open source folio platform. And this begins with an understanding of who they serve and why, what they're doing now to provide those services, and what workflows and data those services depend on. The whole point of migrating is that the new system works differently than the old one, because if it didn't, you know, why bother to migrate? So (laughs) I uh, work with them to figure out how to best set up Folio to meet their current and future needs and to transform the data so they'll do that. Um, People tend to think of migration as a technical process, but simply moving data optimized for a system that does different things, works a different way and structures data differently just winds up as a mess. So I work with them to make sure that the context of the data is also translated so they can do what they did before, and also be set up to leverage Folio strengths rather than simply replicate their old system in Folio. Uh, this involves extensive meetings with staff and sometimes involves on-site visits. There's really no substitute for making direct connections with people and seeing them work in their own environment. And it just so happens, I just returned over a little bit over a week ago from a trip to visit the National Library of Australia. Now, oh, wow. each, oh yeah, I know it was a lot of fun. The uh, each library is different, and like uh, National Library of Australia. Uh, their migration contains some complexities. And so like by just spending a week with them, I think we would have taken another two months had we tried to do that all over video. Um, And I think they'll get better results as well. Now I work with libraries around the world, but I mostly specialize in North America and the Asia Pacific region, though I am currently working with clients in Latin America. Uh, So we're conducting uh, business in three languages. Now when I say we, I mean, the specific projects I work on, there's actually more going on uh, on other projects. Um, A major part of my responsibilities also involves actually migrating the data, which requires developing migration tools, doing a lot of custom programming, and working with hosting on a wide variety of issues, including troubleshooting technical problems and developing solutions, as well as filing reports when bugs are identified. Wow, Um, you have long days. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's actually, there's, Time means like nothing to me. Like there's no <laughs> less meaningless term than business hours because uh, <laughs> it's uh, on a normal day. Uh, I've it, we're talking to people on four continents, sometimes five, and so I get to work with database and computing clusters around the uh, around the globe. And so I do all of these things in close consultation with my teammates and boss. We all support each other in whatever we're doing. 
Um, and so one of the things we do is we try to help each other become better at we do. So I like, if it sounds really cool, it is. <laughs> That's awesome. So what kind of traditional, I'm using air quotes on right. the podcast, what kind of traditional library skills do you use in your job? Well, in order to help people, you need to understand what they're trying to do and what the pain points are. So library operational knowledge is huge. I started uh, library life as a cataloger, but I've done a lot of things over the years. So I constantly use my knowledge of technical and access services, resource sharing uh, workflows and data. And uh, to be perfectly honest, I use my library skills more intensely working for a vendor than I ever did at any library. And I feel more <laughs> like a library now than I did before. No, it's true. It's really intense because what happens is we work with a lot of different types of libraries and they do all kinds of stuff. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very intense. Absolutely key. That's funny. Um, where did you get your, I'm still laughing about that, yeah. that you, you use more library skills working for a vendor than in a library. Um, I guess when you're global, that happens, right? Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's uh, And then the there's a lot of, um, let's just say there's things are done differently in uh, other parts of the world. And some of it's cultural and some of it's just practice. Uh, so you see a, a lot of variety. But that's actually one of the highlights of the job is getting to work with all these people and see all these things. It's, it's, it's really cool. I'm sure. So where did you get your interest in working for a library vendor? And how did your career take you in that direction? Well, that's actually kind of a funny story because I wasn't at all interested in working for a vendor. Uh, my ethos is actually all about public service. And mm -hmm. I didn't understand back then how I could do a better job with a, how I could like do what I really wanted to do better with a vendor than with a library. So it took a lot of poking and prodding to even get me to apply. Uh, so I was recruited. And even after I uh, got the offer, I turned it down uh, twice before I accepted it. Um, but the one problem I did have at the time they approached me is I was flatlining. Um, I had a really stable, cushy academic gig with loads of vacation. But uh, when they called me up, uh, uh, when my current gig called me up, they reminded me that I've always been all about action and they thought I wasn't getting nearly as much as I wanted. Um, you spend way too much time at work to not like what you do. And so like a lot of people, they can be on fire for a couple of years, but the real trick is how to be stoked about what you do every single day when you've been in the game for decades. And I think that's like super important. And a lot of people think it can't be done, but it, it can be done and you should do it. It's, you're just gonna live a lot happier. And um, I mean, I gotta hand, their, hand it to them in the persuasion. After I turned them down the second time, they said, you know, Kyle, from what I can tell, the reason you're turning down, us down isn't because you don't want to join us. You believe in Folio and you believe in our team. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be talking to us. It's because we think you're turning us down because you have a good job situation, a great personal situation, and you don't want to screw that up. You know we can't promise your job will exist in a couple of years, but you know, so what if it doesn't? We always need good people elsewhere in the company. And if you don't believe that, what the hell are you worried about? Guys like you always find your feet. And that's where they really set the hook. Um, they made me realize that inertia was holding me back because I am the type of person who always finds my feet. And so I quit a very safe job at the height of the pandemic, right when the economy cratered, so I could be in an at-will employee with fewer benefits. Best decision <laughs> I ever made in my career. And my only regret is I like I, that I didn't do it sooner. I mean, it's like very, very non-intuitive, but... No, it was, uh, 
they totally convinced me. I agree that it's super important to be engaged at work. Those days are long. Oh if yeah. You're not, if you're not really oh, into what you do. It'd be torture. Well, holding your yeah. breath uh, at five minutes is a long time if you're holding your breath. And there's, uh, uh, I don't think anyone should live in purgatory. And a lot of people do that. What they'll do is they'll stay someplace. Well, essentially just because it's, you know, they've got something, but there's, there's always another option. And um, th there, there's always another option. You have to be willing to, you, you have to be willing to look for it. And sometimes you have to step down. I've actually stepped down uh, more than once in my career. Like I actually quit a job just as I was getting tenure to take a classified position, which might sound insane, except for I was going to uh, get to use a whole bunch of new skills. Um, and I, I did that in the past. I think that this idea that you must be on like a constant track that only goes in one direction is, is it's not a good idea. You need to be willing to move sideways, down or what, whatever. It's like, you'll, you'll be much happier if you kind of like do what makes sense to you internally and not something that like looks good on a sheet. You know, I'm glad you said that because I don't have a like a obvious career path and I've done a lot of talks um, to different groups recently the SLA Kentucky group about my career path. people are super interested in my career path because I, I call it the grand slam of libraries because I've worked in academic corporate public and I've had my own business and there's no rhyme or reason to it and I think people kind of get stuck on like moving up like the ladder which is fine but there's yep. so many things we can do that it doesn't have to be an obvious trajectory. Well, some of the best advice I got was, it it, it was actually almost 25 years ago. And uh, I was being kind of like groomed. I actually managed a technical services unit at one time. And one of the people that reported to me told me, uh, uh, she was like, Kyle, I think it'd be the worst waste of your talent if you were to wind up in administration. And <laughs> uh, the uh, and I thought about that because I was I was good at it and people liked me, but I also I didn't like the job. I actually I I, I didn't like doing that kind of work. I could see the value in it and all that kind of stuff, and I really appreciate uh, managers and a good administrator, but it's not for me. And uh, I'm a I'm a working boy and that I'm a very operational person lead things sure um but I am a I'm a doer by disposition and the idea of getting to tell everybody to do all the fun stuff and then while I'm uh the uh well the way I used to describe like what's management's babysitting budgeting and uh bull feathers as it were um the uh <laughs> But uh, it's it's just it's it's actually it's a it's a tough job no matter what it is and so you need to find something that you actually any job's tough to do right uh, and so you need to find something that you actually like. Right, I agree completely. Um, you've sort of talked about this a little bit, but it might seem obvious. But how do you add value because of your library skills and experiences? Well, I mean, it, if it, for what I do, I wouldn't last a day uh, if it weren't for uh, the library skills and experience. I mean. That is the specific reason I was hired. Um, the, on a very superficial level, my skills and experience help clients trust us because they know I can feel their pain and what kind of things uh, make life better. So like when they're talking about whatever's going on, you know, I've, I've been on the other side of the equation. I've been in their shoes. And so uh, 
they don't they don't really need to explain it again so i've been stuck in projects that go on forever and had you know deal with this you know bad data or you know like uh you know like having to, well there everybody knows what kind of stuff gets shoved on them and um if you can feel their pain uh and you can make suggestions about what you can do realistic suggestions credible suggestions they will trust you and then so like understanding how the data is used knowing what types of things to look for that they might not even think to look for um and understanding like workflows and services is just essential to making sure we're not just moving strings of data around and leaving staff with years of cleanup uh, uh, because people don't know what this stuff really means. What kind of goals do you have in your position? What right. you can tell us. Well, I mean, this is going to have a kind of a Bill and Ted sound to it, but I actually <laughs> only have like one goal and it's like to be excellent. Um, the uh, <laughs> Where I got that idea from is, is it's from Roy Tennant. Uh, back in 1997, I think, he was doing a keynote at the ACES Pacific Northwest chapter annual meeting, and he had a screen with it just had two words on it, be excellent. I was like, that sums it up nicely, because if you can do that, you are there. And so, like, really, all I want to do is help a lot of people by great, being great at whatever I'm doing. And then I like, I just like connecting with people with their work. And of, and of course, I'm evaluated against specific objectives. I like to have to ramp up my abilities, take on new responsibilities, more production, you know, all that kind of stuff. But those are just means to an end. It really, what it's, it all comes down to is just being excellent and working with great people. That makes it, whoever that you're helps. working with, that's a, it's, it's everything. It's everything. I was on an SLA conference maybe 10 years ago, and Thomas Friedman was the keynote. His whole theme was average is over. Can't be average. You, you're not going to no. make it if you're just average. And that that really stuck with me. Average is over. Like you work with people and you're just you just think, okay, they're average. They're not going to get too far because they aren't. They're kind of doing the minimum a little bit, and they're just being average. And it's it's hard to deal with. It's hard to work with people that are average. That's uh, not arrogant. I realize, but. It's very hard to work with people that are average. Well, I think what it is, is it's about the energy because there's like, uh, it's sort of like having a dementor in the room where you have <laughs> dead or negative uh, uh, energy in there. I mean, like um, whatever I do, there's only one kind of job I ever do and that's the best I can. Now, let's suppose I'm in circumstances I don't care for. Um, what that means is I will still do the best I can and then if I can find better circumstances, I will I will take that option, but I will not cheat myself and uh, not do a good job because it's uh, you 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 take away from yourself uh, as uh, as as well as uh, whoever when when you don't apply yourself, because mm -hmm. I mean, it's just it's just no fun. to It's just no fun to not be very good. I mean. I mean, it's fair enough if you're like learning or something like that, or maybe you just don't have talent for something. It's like, there's plenty of things I'm no good at. And I try my best at them. I'm still no good. I don't feel bad about that because I know that whatever it is, I put my best effort at it. And so, you know, I finish the day, you know, feeling, I, I always finish the day feeling good. Yeah, it's about intent. You know, if you're just, you just want to be, you're just kind of there and it's your job. That's fine. Everybody yeah. can't be 
No. You know, everyone can't excel. That's fine. No. But I, so I, I think I think it's important for people to like, you know, be whoever they are. Right. What suggestions can you give librarians who want to pursue jobs at library vendors? Uh, I think the most important things to have are to make sure that you do what fits with who you are and what you believe. And also when you're applying, be able to articulate how specific vendors you're pursuing fit into that uh, goal. Uh, third thing is you need to be good at working with people. Um, and um, so like on the first thing, and it's like, you know, to like uh, fit with who you are is like I was mentioning that, you know, like my ethos is about all about public service. And so that makes uh, working with a vendor kind of counterintuitive counterintuitive but um library industry like all other industries has been consolidating for a long time and will continue to do so and so as a practical matter this means that a growing number of services are provided by vendors and if 5,000 libraries buy the same service from the same vendor i mean the the vendor is functionally the library and and they're, they're adding brandy and so and vendors can only sell things that libraries actually buy they're not going to buy something if they think they can do things better and cheaper themselves but the large vendors, what they can do is they can maintain highly specialized teams and consolidated resources. And so they have the ability to do things much more efficiently than the libraries themselves. And this is not a bad thing because it's uh, if, if, if we're trying to deliver the best service we possibly can to users, what you want is you want the best service with the most bang for the buck. And so in a very weird way, I feel like I'm a better expenditure of public money working for a vendor than I ever was before I joined a vendor. Um, and um, like uh, other library jobs, vendor jobs are also competitive. Um, and so like, while experience and skills are great, uh, your past is not nearly as important as your future. It's much better to hire someone who knew, who's done amazingly well with, you know, relatively little to work with than someone who's got a gazillion years in that's basically been phoning in for the simple reason that the new person is going to be contributing much more once they get up to speed they'll be contributing more energy to the team more ideas and stuff like that and one thing that's probably different uh it, it depends on you know like what kind of role you have in the library is that working with people is critical and you'll be working with all types and you have to gracefully navigate difficult situations and be professional and kind at all times you will sometimes be treated uh, quite poorly just because you work for a vendor, because uh, the unfortunate fact of the matter is, uh, is some only see you as part of an evil empire rather than as mm. human beings mm -hmm. and will use all means reasonable and reasonable to extract anything from you. It's kind of like, you know, if you're flipping burgers or something like that, customers always right. And, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter what the actual facts are. If they complain up to the manager, person on the line is going to get uh, cooked and that we're, that's that same dynamic definitely happens um mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that to be scary because one of my favorite parts of the job i have now is working with the clients um and it's also a specific reason i've tried to stay out of management and engineering specifically because i like working with the clients but it is uh it is sometimes tough what professional associations have you joined or which ones do you get the most out of uh i belong to a variety of professional associations over the years um aces uh ala association of computing uh, machinery and although it's not an organization in the normal sense of the word code for lib uh but uh frankly what i get the most out of organization wise have actually been user groups 
uh, uh, user groups because what I find that those groups and their activities tend to be much more about getting stuff done and not so much about feeding a broken promotion model. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, because I'll, I'll tell you one thing, one of the things that's I, I, I'm going to go ahead and get on my soapbox for a little bit is like, I, I always find it sad is like writing things just to write uh, or, you know, like putting presentations out as like, if you have something to say, great. Um, and but if you don't have anything to say, there should be no dishonor in that. And uh, that uh, I think that having stuff where even the person doing it is not so interested is like, if you're not interested, why the heck would anyone else be? I mean, this is <laughs> sad. It's uh, it's, it's something I, I think it would be great if uh, if we could just focus on like, you know, getting things done. And like, and, all, and also, yeah. I, I think that, that a lot of this, like it has, and they, they do that because they're under pressure to do so. And I, I understand mm -hmm. that, but I, that's why I refer to the broken promotion model. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is a whole other podcast. Oh yeah. Um, so if you were designing a library school course on project management, what are a couple projects you would assign to your students? Well, it really depends on what the, you know, like kind of like the background or trajectory of the students are, but some of the obvious ones to me would be like system migrations and building projects, because these are things that everyone is likely to go through multiple times throughout their career. They involve a lot of uh, moving parts. You have to coordinate with people against uh, across different functional areas. It crosses organizational boundaries. The planning is quite complex. Uh, so I think that those kind of things make a great example and can you know be broken into sub-projects. Uh, if you wanted something like smaller, I don't know, maybe implementing a new digital collection or incorporating a major donor's materials might be good ones, but I mean, that will be applicable and interesting to uh, probably uh, fewer students. And the big question, why did you go to library school? And based oh. on your career so far, does that reasoning still hold? Uh, well, that was an okay answer. Everybody I think wants to be like, say yes, but I can tell sometimes no is really the answer but they don't want to say that. Uh, if you thought one of my earlier answers funny, uh, this one is, <laughs> is probably going to be out there because it, in all honesty, my motivations were not honorable in any way. Um, if you feed too many kids to lions in a former lifetime, which I had obviously done, you find yourself selling vacuum cleaners. And so I was literally standing there one day and I was saying, man, this sucks. And then I was like, ah, don't be such a whiner. So many people have it worse than you. And it's like, well, that may be true still sucks. But um, then I remembered, I actually had an advanced degree already and why I, I wound up there after that trajectory is another story. But one of the things I'd remembered from that degree is um, that one was really competitive to get in, like only 6% of the applicants got in, 50% of the people failed out. But the way that we threw people out, we didn't throw them out. We transferred them to the library school. It was kind of like a joke you know it's like ha ha losers um but one of the things i noticed that after they got thrown out it's like i like for losers they seem to be awfully happy like happier <laughs> than the people that stayed behind and they got jobs and I, I remembered that and um the um another thing i'd remembered from that experience and also from the sales things is to succeed it's not enough to have the skills um you need to 
you actually need to believe in what you're doing to succeed. And um, the university I was at had like, it was a really big university. So they had 20 million volumes. And so I thought the, um, the um, problem of how can you find the right thing when there's like 20 million volumes is an inherently interesting uh, problem. And so I, they, they paid me to go. I mean, uh, and so I made as much, uh, uh, I, I made as much going to uh, school as I uh, did, uh, you know, like I, I did at my job and you couldn't get fired because, you know, they're not going to fire you from library school if you, uh, if you're <laughs> doing the uh, work. Um, and so that was my initial motivation. But for my GA ship, I had a great mentor. Uh, matter of fact, I still keep in contact with him. And as a matter of fact, we're going to have another, I'm going to have a call with him again real soon. I uh, kept track with him uh, all these years. And he like burned into my soul that, you know, the heart of a great university is a great library. The heart of a great library is a great catalog. I could recite AACR2, you know, by, you know, by chapter, you know, 21.1B2, you know, like all that kind of stuff. But he, he really like, opened my eyes uh, to a uh, new world. And then uh, it, um, and then what I did is I got in, I, I got connected with other people and then, you know, it, things took off from there. And so, so as far as my reasoning, I would definitely not recommend people use my reasoning. Uh, <laughs> it worked out fine for, uh, uh, it, it worked out, well, actually it worked out great for me. Um, but what I would say is like, you know, whatever people do, they should always do something that lights you up. I completely agree. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you to Kyle Banerjee for being my guest today on The Librarian Leanbower. Thank you to my listeners for telling me how much value they get from the content that my guests and I are providing. Please continue to comment on the episodes on thelibrarianleanbower.com and check for future content there. Continue sharing on social media at the live link over on Twitter, Library and link over on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening.